In honor of the first ever Male Survivor Awareness Day, we are excited to bring you a bonus episode of our podcast with Jace Barron. He's a keynote speaker, a published author, and producer. He's a survivor of sexual assault, and after his story of rape went viral in 2016, then advocating to revoke the statute of limitation on rape charges in the state of California, he has made it his mission to be a voice for men and educate others on the topic. He launched Talk, Heal, Thrive, Survive for Sexual Assault Awareness Month with a mission to start an inclusive conversation surrounding survivors. Check out his website, www.jacebaron.com that has tons of great information surrounding language and frequently asked questions regarding rape, healthy sex after assault, and resources. Um, Welcome, Jace. We are so happy to have you here. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Obviously, our introduction captures it, but just tell us a little about who you are before we jump into your survivor story. Yeah, um, so I'm Jace Barron, born and raised California boy, but love New York, love the East Coast. Um, I'm a published author, producer, director, uh, public speaker, and one of the things that I am most recognized for is my work in advocacy when it comes to sexual assault, when it comes to men. Um, I was involved in SB 813 back in 2016, which revoked the statute of limitation on rape in the state of California. So that means that Bill Cosby, Harvey Weinstein, um, all the other people um, who were abusers uh, were able to be put in jail because before it was 10 years. And so after the law passed, it was unlimited. So it doesn't matter if it happened in 1960 or 1992. Um, you're able to press charges against your abuser. So that was such a big movement. We had Gloria Allred involved, um, as well as Assemblymember Mike Gibson. And from there, I worked with Yale University and a bunch of other different types of things. So yeah, my, I say my tagline is the intersection of advocacy and entertainment. And I try to combine those two worlds when it comes to what I produce and put out into the world. I love that. And I, I just, the work that you did with getting the statute of limitations changed to me is so important. I'm a person, personally, I'm a survivor of child sexual abuse and it took years to get that law changed. Now I had no part in that, but I didn't come to terms with it until I turned 38 and this was back. So I like that they wait until you come to terms with it, then give you a timeline to go back if you so choose. And I think that's important because I've done research that says a lot of the male victims won't come forward for at least 20 years because they're not sure how to process it. So removing that, that um, restriction and allowing them to claim their, their um, survivorship, I think is powerful. So thank you for putting in that, that work. I I have to, how hard was it to get it changed? Um, you know, I came on at the tail end of the whole entire movement. Um, and so what happened was I kind of came forth my story publicly. I know we said this before, um, that I got, it went viral. And so the people who were pushing the bill, as I remember Mike Gibson in particular, reached out to me to help pass the bill because they had no male voices. And so when it came to the press conference, I was the only male that was able to speak, um, to the realities of what's going on in society. And so I, you know, they throw me up on the news and it was very fresh for me too. Um, I think the article came out like on a Tuesday. I was flown on a plane on like Thursday. And so wow. the whole thing publicly was very fresh and new. And I think because of, you know, my work experience, um, you know, dealing with public speaking in public arenas, I was able to kind of convey and articulate what I was going to say on TV 
Um, but I was still just very much in my head about what was happening because it was I, that was not my brand before. Uh, all of it was, was very LGBT oriented, but it was more in the sense of um, lighthearted conversations, I should say. Yeah, yeah. And now you're a powerhouse advocate. I love it. Um, it's kind of a whirlwind. It seems like you share your story, and all of a sudden you're sucked into this whole of the world, and you're able to, you know, um, touch other people. And, and inspire them to come forward because I'm, as Hannah mentioned in our pre-interview, um, it's been very difficult to get men comfortable coming forward to share their story. And we want them to feel safe and not, not pressured to tell, but safe in that this is a, this is, we're going to honor your story and we're going to respect the fact that you survived that and we're going to be a support system. So I love that you've you've agreed to do this because maybe it will help men see that it's okay to talk about you did nothing wrong. You, you doesn't challenge your manhood or anything. This is not something that you caused. And I'm, I'm hoping that this podcast with you um, really does bring that for some of the male members and listeners. So, yeah. And thank you for, you know, saying that and just being open uh, with open arms because it is, it's a very new or conversation this the situation is not news but a conversation is yes and um and i think that a lot of men are not equipped to even have that to even articulate what happened or even like recognize that's what happened because even for me you know it happened several times before my life that before the big one i should say but i didn't even recognize and identify that hey like that was a soul back 10 years ago before yes. where it was very more it was more violent and so i think that we don't even have like the vernacular to even you know say nonetheless even think about like we may think oh that was weird but that's with women too I've, I've had several women come to me like hey you know this happened to me back in the 80s and like i didn't really put that together but yeah, yeah that was a soul and so i think it's uh, you know everybody i think the thing about you know men coming forward is that it makes it a universal conversation yes um, because no one is exempt we're all human we're all people um and we all are powerful enough to overcome these things exactly and um some of the male survivor stories that we're seeing aren't just physical abuse some of them are subtle manipulation and control and they think they have to accept it because that's what a man does and so the span of abuse that men have i can't say tolerated but i don't know of a better word because they don't know better um because we're not giving them the tools and the the um, knowledge that you don't have that that's not okay um i think we as a society have to do better in that regard and and give them just as many tools as we do women when it comes to abuse so um absolutely no i 100 agree with that Okay. Well, now I'm going to get into the questions here. Um, okay. Let's see here. Unfortunately, many people associate sexual assault to only happening to women when in reality, one out of every 10 rape victims are actually male. You as a male survivor yourself, how did you meet your abuser? And could you share a little about your experience? Now, I know you said it's happened multiple times. So pick the one that is, I don't want to say the most traumatic because that sounds terrible, but the one that really sparked your desire to come forward. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and it's funny because um, whenever I hear stats about like male survivors and stuff like that, I'm always like, that can't even be accurate because again, like we said before, being able to like process emotionally and even like verbally what's happening, like there's, 
I had thousands of little, I'll start with the story. Um, so I was approached online uh, by a producer. At the time I was, I was in my mid twenties, kind of over the party phase um, and wanting my big break. And uh, this person approached me online um, on an app. Um, I'll be transparent about that. And, you know, they're like, hey, I, I had like my website and like I wrote a book. That book had already come out. I was like, hey, but, like, we really like your stuff. I know, you know, I listened to your podcast. I would like to talk to you. And of course, me being, you know, younger and eager to make it, having a producer from a very well known uh, studio reach out to me was like, of course, um, winning and going into a blind side. And so it's like, you know, let's, let's meet up and we're going to have a meeting. So I was like, okay, great. So we, went to his house um and he was real and i was like great this is my perfect opportunity like i finally am able to get something um and um he suggested we go out for drinks i was like okay whatever um and we went out and then i don't remember and i i like i said i've, I've had a party phase i'm not going to even sugarcoat that so i no. know how to tolerate alcohol um and this was significantly different um mostly because i had no recollection of leaving and um or even anything was going on i think i had like three drinks that night um and uh that i remember and i remember waking up and my attacker was on top of me and i was back in his bed and i woke up and i remember just seeing the silhouette of him you know thrusting and I was able to get enough strength to kind of like nudge him off me, but then after that I had passed back out. Um, and then I woke up the next morning, he kicked me out the house. I stumbled to my car. I took a nap in my car because I couldn't drive. I was completely like lifeless. Um, and then I finally got the strength to drive home and I forgot about it for months. Like it never happened. And I just continued with my life. Um, and it wasn't until I was having a conversation, you know, with friends, uh, we're just talking about experiences and they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, I don't, you know, blah, blah, blah. and they're like, uh, no, that's not what this was. And so fast forward, um, at the time I was writing for a publication based out of Connecticut called HIV Equal. Um, they've gone under since this, but I just after probably another year of me processing and trying to go to therapy and not not really working the way I wanted it to um I decided to just write about it and put it out there because I knew that I was not the only one so I wrote about it I had over 600,000 views within days um I had thousands of emails from people all over the world um mostly women but women too um thankfully a lot of them I would say 98 percent of them were positive very very few um heinous ones but of course people are going to be people yes. um and yeah that i just went public with it and i wasn't i knew it was going to be something but i didn't expect it to kind of become what it has become today and especially at the time like i said i went public with this it went viral and i was flown out to sacramento within yeah. days it changed uh, your life <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And so, and I knew that putting it out there would do something for other people because it took me such a long time to process it myself. Um, and I knew that there's others like me out there. And when I did research, 
um, you know, I found that there were opportunities like men healing who I've worked with, you know, male survivor mm-hmm. who I've also worked with as well. Um, but I just, I didn't see a lot, um, especially compared to the resources that are out there for women. And then especially me being a black man, an Afro-Latino man, there was even less of that. And so I knew that I could be um, a reflection of somebody and a yeah. reflection of courageousness. And so I wanted to bring that to other people. So well, that's my story in a nutshell. <laughs> I will say you've done that. So oh, thank you, you are definitely thank you, bringing thank that you. to other people. Um, when your story, when you went public with your story in 2016, did you feel supported by your family and friends in the community? Obviously, you know, it gained a lot of attention, but how was the support within your circle coming out with such an intimate personal assault story? Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll say some things for the movies, some detail, because I'm, I, uh, we're in the process of making this into a film. Um, but I will say that I was definitely supported by my family. Um, I made sure uh, they were aware of what was going on before I went out to the internet. Um, and as far as friends and everyone else goes, it was, yeah, I had a lot of support. I think um, one of the things I will say is that some friends were like, well, how come you didn't tell me? You know, kind of things like that, which I think was insensitive. Um, but I also understand the root of what people are coming from. Like, you know, they want to be able to help and they want to be able to be a supportive person. Mm-hmm. And when they hear that something that drastic happened years ago, they're like, well, why didn't you lean on me? But I think it's important to recognize that everyone's journey um, is different. Everyone processes things different. And that there's a time limit, or no, not time limit, but there's a time that's not like uh, limited, I should say, when people want to talk about things or not talk about things. Yeah. And so I think it's good to give space and a lot of space um, and time for people who are survivors to kind of process things because, you know, it's, it's a lot to deal with. And, you know, I may, I may get on a podcast and talk about it, but it was a lot for me to process and things happened along that journey. And yeah. it took a lot for me to get here. Well, that actually is a perfect lead into the next question. <laughs> How has your journey towards healing developed? We've talked a little bit about the limited resources that you've come into um, to know that we don't have, um, but how has your journey towards healing developed over time? Um, healing over time, I would say it takes time. Um, and there's, again, no limit to that time. I think that there's some days that I have bad days even now you know i i wake up and i and i remember something or i hear something and it triggers me and then you know i I, i'm better now with letting things go and letting understanding those things um but it took a while for me to really understand that this is something that happened to me and it's not to find who i am and i think that that is an important key because people will hold on to things that they may think like this happened to me and so this is who I am now. I'm like, no, no, no. Like you are more than these things. You are, you are a powerful human being. You can get over the, you can move past these things. And so, you know, it, it takes time. And I think people, I, I went to therapy. It, like I mentioned before, it didn't work out that well. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, um, but again, that's finding a right therapist. I didn't, at the yes. time, didn't have the patience for that. Or I didn't have the desire to do that. And so, um, yeah, it, it's, it's been a journey, but I think that I've come to the place where I've understood, I've accepted, I've healed, I've forgiven my abuser. Um, I've tried to look for him. I can't find him. And that took a while for me to even get the courage to do that. You can type into Google. Um, and so I've 
you know, I, I had to give grace because I don't know who this person was before they met me. And, um, and I don't know what they went through or what they dealt with. It doesn't, doesn't, doesn't give them jurisdiction to do anything, but we all have a story. And I always question what happened to this person to make him do something so disgusting. Yes. Um, and so I had to almost forgive them without getting an apology ever. And I, I never will get that apology. And I think uh, from my perspective or my experience, mm -hmm. most of us don't. So you have yeah. to find a way to move on and just not be okay with what happened, but understand that it does not define you. And I love that you made that clear because I find a lot of our members in the support group today still think there's a stigma that's going to stick with them forever. And then you can see the survivors who've moved on and are maybe remarried and they've, they've learned that that did not define them. It was a moment in time. And so yes. I like that you are another example of that, that you can come out of it. Um, it doesn't take away from the traumatic experience and the unacceptable behavior that occurred it just allows you to thrive in life today so yeah use it as a tool to empower yourself if yeah you get through it like i mean how will i mean people think that going to college is hard imagine going through this and that just like use that for fuel to like really take on the world because that's really what you could do with the, with the power because yes. everyone is such a powerful person i think a lot of people really underestimate the the work that they have Yes. And it gets derailed or, you know, um, sidetracked mentally because of something that happens, but that doesn't take away. You can overcome that as well. And so I yeah. think just using that as just a tool to just even boost your confidence, your worth, your, your energy even more is powerful. Yes. And we're not saying it's easy, listeners. I No, absolutely we, not. Yes, it is. I, I've, I started my healing process at 38. I'm 44 and a half now, and mm -hmm. I'm still on medication. I'm still seeing counselors and I still have really horrible days, but you keep fighting because you know, yeah. and you also, I think it gives you a, a, a different look at the world in a compassionate way. Like you were saying about your abuser. Um, it doesn't excuse anything that they did, but um you have to look at it with a little bit of compassion or you're just going to, it'll eat you alive. So yeah. it gives you a different viewpoint in the world. And I always, so when I see someone struggling, I now look and wonder what caused that as opposed to, wow, look at that. Why are they behaving that way? Right. You kind of, yeah. it changes your mindset. You reconcile things differently, I think. Yeah. And like you said, it's not even for them, it's for you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I think it's a um, very important thing to acknowledge and recognize. I would completely agree. So mm -hmm. sharing your story led you to being invited to join Yale's psychology department to aid in a study on male survivors. Can you tell us more about that? Yes, yes. I love my Yale family. Um, so Dr. Joan Cook um, from Yale University, she actually spotted me. I hosted a, um, a jazz night in New York. Um, it was a benefit concert that was there in the city and they asked me to host it. I said, absolutely, I'm going. Um, and so I went there and we just had a great time and we, we talked about it, but we also laughed. We had a good time. And I think that people weren't really ready to like come into a space with that type of topic involved laughing. Um, but humor you know, heals. Again, humor heals. Yeah. And like, why not? Um, and so she actually had spotted me there and a year later, 
um, she had reached out and was like, hey, you know, I'm, I don't want to bother you. I know you're busy, but, you know, we have an advisory board position. We have a grant and we're going to be doing a, I believe it was a four-year study dealing with male survivors. And we'd love for you to be wow. on the advisory board. And I said, absolutely. What You're not bothering me at all. Um, so we actually just wrapped uh, this month. And I will say the experience, uh, I, I'm not, I, I went to college, but I don't come from academia, especially career-wise. And so it was good to kind of see those stats and those statistics, but also yeah. kind of give my social implement to the study. Because, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times, you know, people are looking at graphs and charts, but a lot of things, but this is social, you know, we have to look about race. We have to look about, you know, how men are raised, all those types of things. Yeah. And so, you know, and also age, <laughs> you know, I was yeah. the youngest person on the advisory board um, and one of the few uh, people of color. And so it was, it was, it was a really good study. We had over 2000 applicants apply um, and they did the study on, I want to say 365 that were, um, that were able to go through and finish the whole entire course. Um, and we had peer mediators that were also volunteers that came and, you know, help it. And so it was really good. And one thing I will say about that study is that um, the people who were, you know, running the study, they kind of let the peer mediators kind of be the ones that are like the face of it and talk with mm-hmm. the survivors because they realized that that was going to have an even more bigger impact if they could see somebody yeah. who looks like them on the other end. Um, a lot of it was through COVID as well. So there was these resume calls that were happening. And so, um, so it was a really good study. They have a lot of great statistics. They're still kind of wrapping up that that four-year study yeah. in like a giant book or thesis, whatever uh-huh. they do. Um, and so, but I'm happy to share, you know, those things and that news. And I hope that the study continues to go on with other different things. And I think, again, my whole thing with male survivors is the inclusiveness. You know, it is, you know, trans people. It is, you know, women, cis people. Like all these people yes. are part of the conversation. Um, and this is just one more notch of inclusivity to cater to a certain demographic. So will the study be available to the public in the next six months, do you think? Or I don't know how long it takes to wrap up before your study. I do not know either, but I know it will be public. So okay. if you guys follow we'll me share. on social, yeah, okay. please share. And I'll, I'll get that over to you as well. Um, that would be public amazing. information. Yeah. That's wonderful. And something that Hannah really believes in, you know, when she started, when her post went viral, she really thought, wow, there's so many women affected. And then all of a sudden men started to reach out to her and, and there were so many others that reached out. She's like, well, I'm going to make an inclusive community. And now we are literally open to anybody. If you are human, you are welcome. Mm -hmm. Um, and unless you're the abuser, obviously we block you for security reasons, but if you are human, we allow you in. And I'm finding that there aren't many completely inclusive groups out there. They're very yeah. um, siloed. And um, d- did you find during the study that the participants didn't have places to go or didn't feel welcome um, in any support groups or anything that they attended? Um, I think that, so I did, there, that stuff that was confidential, not included okay. with me. So I was kind of on the outskirts of that. I also want to give a shout out to um, Amy Ellis as well as Nova Southwestern in Florida. Um, she was definitely a huge instrumental part of the the uh, study. Um, but I, I think that that says a lot, just even with the people that applied, the 2,000 people, um, that's huge, over 2,000. 
and I and also the people who did drop out because they didn't necessarily feel comfortable uh, mm-hmm. talking about these things. And so I think that yes, there are limited resources, but there's also limited ways of having the conversation as well. You know, everyone's like, go to therapy or do this. I went to therapy, it didn't work. I actually yeah. hated it. <laughs> so um, so I kind of had to do a different route that I kind of found yeah. out on my own. And it wasn't really community-based. Um, you know, I, I would need to get kind of immersed in the community until after I told my story online. But before that, it was really all just kind of self-work that I had to do with my on my own. And I'm still doing it on my own yeah. to this day. You know, this was uh, probably what, what, six, seven years ago. And I'm still working on it today. Yeah. Um, and there's and there's different outlets in different ways. So I think whatever works best for you is the most important thing. Um, and if something doesn't work, then you know, keep trying it till it till it does, or find something else. I do like that message because therapy does not work for everybody. It took me a long time to find the right therapist, and I think mm-hmm. that's important. Just because they're recommended to you doesn't mean it's going to be the person for you. So it's okay. Yeah. You're not, you know, there's not always a connection. So move on to the others. But if therapy doesn't work, find something else because we are all different. But, um, and if you're not sure, there are people like Jason, I'm sure you can message and ask what works for you, or you can just learn from stories. And I think people need to remember that you're going to get the same advice from people who don't understand, go to therapy, mm-hmm. do this, go do that. But the people who do understand might be able to give you a broader perspective on how to heal, um, what, Absolutely. what you can do so um yeah. and okay. i also want to just uh, um take it back to something you said earlier um about abusers i've learned that some abusers are also survivors in the same yes entity. they are yes and you know and that kind of was something that i had to kind of process as well yes. um even when it comes to grace and things like that and so I think it's important to kind of acknowledge that, you know, you don't know whatever person's um, background is. And also you're not entitled to, I don't want to say do anything about it, but I think the work is more important within oneself. Yes. A lot of people ask me, well, how can you press charges or how can you do this? I had to work on myself before I could even go down that route. Yes. On top of that, I saw black men in America and to see the history of what that looks like in the court and when the law yes. happens. And so I had to also think about that. And that's something that other survivors may have to consider when it comes to pressing charges. Yeah. I didn't press charges um, because mm-hmm. I didn't see the value in it today. Yeah. And I can only say that because he is somewhere being watched continuously. So there's really mm-hmm. no point in, in going through it for myself because it's just so yeah. much to bring up. So it is a personal choice. And I think that's something people need to be a little bit more understanding about, not just instantly jump to the pressing charges. And I just yeah. want to clarify, when I say if you're an abuser, you don't come into the support group. I think I mean, if you're an active abuser to one of our members, we mm-hmm. have to block you for safety and security purposes. Um, if you're going through, if you have a protective order and we let someone in, we can't let that person, that other person in, even if they do need support, they might have to go somewhere else for a little while. Absolutely. So um, yes, I'm sure we have a lot of maybe reformed ones who are now survivors and coming to terms with their own things. But if they're actively, we have to 
you know, they're yeah. safe and secure for our current members. So, mm-hmm. um, okay. On your website, talk, heal, thrive, survive. You have a great section that talks about a healthy sex life after an assault. What advice would you give to sexual assault survivors in this area? Take your time. Take your time. Um, everybody heals differently. And that is, um, you know, for me, um, my thing was like my body was violated. And so like that was that was my big thing. And so, of course, there's so many things to do with your body and that includes sex. And so when it comes to uh, just healing from that, take your time. And again, something that happens to you does not define who you are. It is not, um, it is something that happens that will obviously have an effect in some way, shape or form for the rest of your life. But it's also up to you to like um, navigate that effect. You know, uh, how do you look at things, this perspective? And so definitely take your time. Um, and also just, I think, uh, sex is such a powerful thing and just be mindful of like what you're doing why you're doing it um, you know there was uh, a great show called I May Destroy You that uh, Michaela Cole came out with um, that kind of went through all these different types of emotions after assault um, even being promiscuous and so like if you're in those situations like okay just ask yourself like why am I feeling this way? Why am I acting this way? You know, if someone touches me a certain way, I think also just being honest and open with um, your sexual partners about what you're feeling, um, especially if it's a relationship, you know, have conversations about what's going on, what your history was, because that could help them kind of better understand you and letting people know like what you need, like, hey, you know, this is what I feel um, and this is what I need in this moment. Um, and how you could help me, you know, giving space, giving different types of things. Don't touch this area because this area is a trigger point for me. So I think just being vocal and being honest uh, with whatever you're doing and also with yourself is just the most important and taking your time to do so. That I'm nodding my head so consistently. I don't know how they don't hear it on the podcast because I'm in full <laughs> agreement that I think we we sometimes worry what the person that you are with is going to what their reaction is going to be. We see that a lot with our members in the support group. What if is the question, what if they don't want to be with me because of this, then that's not the right person for you. If they care, they're going to understand that you went through something and it's going to be all green flags and support and compassion. And so I like that you, you really recommend the communication and, um, don't be afraid of their response because that'll be your answer if it is not a positive Absolutely. one. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. They're not mature enough to handle the conversation. They're not mature enough to do the do. Exactly. <laughs> add that as the tagline. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't want to hear it, then, you know, you're not going to have it. So yeah. uh, I think not that is worthy. very important. Um, and sometimes just, just sharing my experience, some of those body triggers will never go away or haven't yet. And that's okay too. So don't mm-hmm. feel like you have to fix everything if you're just not comfortable doing it. I think our members need to hear that a lot too. Um, it's okay to just let it go, but not yeah. necessarily get over it, if that makes sense. So, mm-hmm. um, okay. I think you've kind of answered this a little bit, but I really would like a, a section just for people to hear it outright. What would you like to tell advocates about helping a victim of sexual assault? Um, advocates, I think 
the most important thing is that people receive support in different ways. Everyone is different. Um, like I mentioned earlier, therapy is not going to work for everybody. You know, there's different ways of handling things. And I think this kind of this rule book of how to help people, um, I don't want to say needs to be abolished, but needs to be expanded because um, everyone has different needs and different responses. Not everything's going to work for the same person. Um, and so I think just being open to hearing people and listening to people and they kind of assessing from there, like what they need, because they may not even know what they need. But, you know, if you're a psychologist or a psychologist um, and you're listening, you're able to kind of more assess versus just kind of write something off. And I think also what's important is um, social needs as well. You know, trans people have different needs. Black people have different needs. Hispanic people have different needs. You know, disabled people have different needs. Everyone has their different needs. And so when you kind of take into consideration all of those different things, um, there, there's going to be different outcomes. Um, there's going to be different resources. And so I think taking all those things and, um, and I will say this is still very early on in the research part of it. But I think that the social part of analysis is even more important because we don't even have the the data to really properly assess because there's so many people and there's so many stories that don't get told. Yes. I will say um, we're doing our survivor spotlights one a day through the month of October, and then we'll go to one a week. And I'm noticing that um, different populations of people openly say that very thing. You know, I, I don't know what I need, but it's not what's provided to me. Um, and I don't, I need to find like-minded resources so that they can help me in that regard. And I think that's something that we need to get away from the checklist of how to help and really just have, here's an option book of all the ways that can help everybody. And we find the right page in the 2000 page book that, or the 12 pages that work for you. Um, but the, the standard checklist I'm noticing does not work for most survivors. So, yeah. Yeah. Then, like I said, everyone's different and everyone has a different, you know, 35 years, 42 years of lived experience, even outside of sexual mm -hmm. trauma, that they react to things a certain way. It, could, it may not even have to be anything to do with sexual trauma. It could be something with their family or, you know, something that happened to them as a kid or as an adult or in college. You know, something that has nothing to do with sexual assault, but the way that they react to things, it can yes. be you know, a parent died. It's going to have, you know, abandonment issues. Yes. And so there's, everyone has a different story. And so you really have to deal with people as an individual and not as a mass case study or something like that. Exactly. The circumstances of each person's life drive so many, you know, possible mm -hmm. needs that I don't know how we'll ever capture, but we do need to get better about, um, you know, asking and talking and learning so that we can yeah. get better. Yeah. And listening too. Yes. That is something that we, we see um, some of the survivors or even the ones currently in the, the situation in our group talk about, you know, people want to help. And then they ask me to tell my story to them. And then they don't actively listen. They listen to respond or to give me a quick solution. Mm -hmm. They can fix it. And they're not actually listening. And so that's something I'd like to add to anyone listening now. If a survivor's willing or someone going through it right now is willing to open up to you, listen with your whole heart 
and truly listen to understand, not to mm-hmm. respond and to fix it. Just be there. So would you agree with that as someone who's been through this? 1,010%. And if they ask you to respond, then go ahead. Yes. <laughs> I <laughs> love that. Sometimes people just yeah. need a listening ear. Um, yes. Just to, just to talk and process things. And sometimes, you know, people's, people think out loud. And so even if this, I mean, I've done this with other things too, where I'm just like, I'm thinking, so I'm just like talking it out, right? And that just helps me kind of like put things together. So some people are just talking just to categorize what they have in their head. Yeah, see, I like that. They're, you know, if they're trying to reconcile it, you're just a sounding board, just be there, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And don't be on your phone, you know, pay attention, be involved. And I think um, in my view, some of, the younger generation forget to put their phone down um, when we're talking and now some of the older generation, because as the phones get better, you don't want to put them down, but that is just a sign of respect for whoever you're talking to when, especially when they're telling you something so powerful. So Mm -hmm. um, I like that. Well, with that, the generation going crazy. Yes. yes. (laughs) I I get so many, my uncles and aunts are sending TikToks all day, every day. I'm like, weren't y'all just shaming us to social media 10 years ago? I will be honest. I don't have a TikTok account. If it hits another social media avenue, I figure it's cool enough to get to me, but I don't have an account. Um, man, everyone sent Did you see this one? No, I don't have a TikTok. <laughs> oh, no, sorry. So, one day, I feel like I'm going to have to because that's going to be the only way to communicate. But right now, I'm, I'm holding out. <laughs> yeah, I, I have one and my... Uh, yeah it's it's pretty much there oh okay i would say but in the entertainment industry in that aspect i can see that so but i like that you said it's just it's there (laughs) it's it's there it's there i i'm 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 a little i don't want to say old school because social media is not old um but i'm definitely twitter instagram i mean facebook i think i get on to like some more to like see my memories of that day but yes (laughs) There really is. And if I, I find the more I get on social media, the less I actually live my life around me. So I have to yeah. limit it to sections, right? Uh-huh. Okay. This is uh-huh. social media hour. So, exactly. but well, Jace, is there anything else you'd like to add or say at all about anything before we sign off today? Um, yes. Uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, it was definitely a joy talking to you and thank you for sharing your story as well. Um, and just kind of giving those little tidbits and advice. Uh, like I said, everyone's different. And so I'm pretty sure people took away um, something from you as a host as well. So thank you for being transparent with your journey and your story. Um, and again, just kind of the advocates, just to reiterate, and even the psychologists out there, you know, treat people as individuals. Um, and I think it's really important to just really assess and really like fully listen and take into consideration all the things um before giving advice because again even for myself as a black man and this happened to me i there's very very limited you know resources and there's even more limited resources for trans people who are non or non-binary people you know mm-hmm. i still have a privilege in the space that i hold um as a male survivor and I think about all the different other people and in intersections that don't even have the resources. So I think just really just having community and bringing community together so that it's like a whole conversation for everybody. 
Um, and I, I pray that one day that we will all be able to come together and have a conversation like this because um, it's so important. And I wanted to stop because, uh, you know, people do things because they feel that they can. And once people start speaking out and having resources and stuff like that and things like that, I think we'll be in a better place so, uh, socially. I would agree with that completely. I think the fact that people are still timid to talk about such a topic keeps people being able to, or allows people to continue to do what they're doing. Um, we need to shout from the rooftops that we're not going to tolerate it, but we need to do it as a unit, as a, a mass society. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm hoping with Me Too and Men Too that things are getting there. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I appreciate your last your last comments here, Jace. And we are going to link up all your social media and all your websites. And when your video comes out, we're going to link your movie too, because now we're super fans. Um, but I was yeah, honored I the fact that you even accepted to do this bonus episode with you, uh, with us, excuse me. And I, I'm just so lucky to have been the one to talk to you. Um, so thank you for joining us with our fourth episode ever. <laughs> And oh, I can't well, to see the so things much. you're going to do in the world. You know, I know that um, you've already done great things, but 20 years from now, I'm going to look back and be like, I remember Jason, look at what he's done in the world. And I can't wait to see that. So I'm thrilled um, that the world has you. So thank you. Thank you. Um, and likewise, it's the same to you. It's, it's, it's really just a matter of just speaking up and speaking out and being having unified conversations. So just you even, you know, hosting this podcast, speaks volumes as well so i also want to give you your kudos as well thank you you don't have to do that but i appreciate it <laughs> but that's what life's about give look oh. give them the roses while they're here i, I love it yes, i will accept that rose now, so thank you mm -hmm.